you have your Bibles today, I'm preaching from the book of Matthew, chapter 2, about the first 12 verses, very familiar words to us this morning. While you're finding that, let me say again how delighted I am to see everyone in church today. A lot of sickness going around, it's got a few people out, uh, travel still taking place. It's kind of a gloomy day outside, but I'm glad that you're here and the Spirit of the Lord is with us and it is good and wonderful to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen? I hope that, uh, you, uh, that you've had a great uh, week in sharing uh, our Christmas uh, celebration with family and friends and all that's involved in that. Today we look at the final uh, piece of the puzzle of, of the biblical presentation of the coming of Christ. And one of the most misunderstood uh, sections of, uh, of, of activity around the Christ child, that being the story of the Magi or the wise men. Let me read it, and if you'll follow along with me. Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard all of this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the peoples, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Verse 7, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went, up, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Well, the story of the wise men is often told and often portrayed and, and, uh, at, at, in, the, in the presentation of the coming of the Christ child, but, but the facts are uh, it was not often as we, as we present it at our church. Uh, probably a two-year time period had elapsed. Jesus had been born. The manger had been uh, he had been taken out of the manger. He was gone from the stable. He had uh, uh, run, in some cases, to, uh, to a new place and taken up residence and, uh, in Bethlehem in a house. And uh, uh, the story, Matthew tells us that after a couple of years, these magi, or these wise men, uh, showed up and began to worship the Christ child. No doubt as surprising to Mary and Joseph as the whole process had been through the birth of Christ. We don't understand who these magi are uh, and, and what they really are about, but they were men of great wisdom, and they were highly respected and, and viewed to be men of great wisdom. They studied diligently at, at certain things, and especially at astronomy. They believed that God was telling a message in the sky, and so they tracked the stars, and they studied the stars, and the times of the year where the placement of the stars were, they, they believed that there was a message being spoken. They kept looking up uh, to the heavens to find that. And uh, 
when, the, when a different star appeared, when a new star appeared, it caught their attention, we know. Uh, the wise men were considered wise uh, because of their knowledge and because of their expertise in predicting all kinds of physical things. But, but the key to the wise men' uh, success was that, that they kept looking up. And I know that it's not really, uh, uh, it's a theological jump here to say this, but if we want to have success in this coming year, might I say to you that our key is where we w- will be where we put our sights, what we put our sights on, and that we should keep looking up to God. He is the answer, and He is our hope, and He will speak to us if we keep looking on and up to Him. So often we get our sights so focused on what's happening to us, and so often we get consumed with our problems, and, and that's part of our human nature. But if we could learn to keep our eyes focused on God, He will lead us through even the most difficult days with a spirit and level of victory that we have not had before. Where we place our sights is key to what God is able to do for us now and in this coming year. I noted as I was thinking about this that, that uh, when, when, uh, when God was giving Noah the instructions on how to build the ark, uh, by the way, I'm not wondering. I'm, I'm still on track. Don't, don't get discouraged about that. He told him exactly how it was to be built, how long it was to be, how high it was to be, how wide it was to be. He even told him where to put the nails if they would have used nails. You remember how many windows God told Noah to put in the ark? He just said put one. You remember where God told him to put that one window? Not in the front of the ark so they'd be able to see where they were going. Not in the side of the ark so they would be able to see what was happening around them. Not in the back of the ark so they could see where they had been. He told him, put that one window in the very top and center of that ark so that when you look out, you have to look symbolically into the heavens. And you'll know that there's a God. And remember, there's a God that will sustain you through a 40-day period of rain and flooding that will wipe everything out. This business of where we put our sights on is key to what God is able to do for us. May I challenge you this coming year, write it in our hearts, promise God, make a resolution, we're going to do our best to keep our eyes focused on God. Well, these wise men, these magi were experts at that, and uh, they had quite a following, and they were highly respected, and uh, they saw that a star uh, had appeared. Tradition tells us that there were three wise men, although Scripture doesn't say that. Tradition says because three gifts were given, there must be three men that uh, presented those gifts. But, but in, in reality, there probably was quite an entourage of people that were traveling in this group of wise men. They began a journey way back in the east. Some think in the Babylonian region. Some think that even that Daniel and his companions who were taken captive uh, many years before this time had had such an influence on their country that Daniel presented a God that uh, no one could deny was so powerful, and, and the stories of God might have even translated down to, these, to this group of people, and they knew the prophecy, and they knew the written word, and they knew uh, all these kinds of things, and when the star appeared, it made sense to them, and they began a journey to which its destination they did not fully understand. And so it's safe to say that, that uh, there were people that support people that went along with them, uh, I've heard, I've uh, read in commentaries, maybe, maybe as many as 100 people, some think maybe as many as 300 were showing up with these wise men that day. There were certainly those who had to, to bring food and, and care for their animals and have to attend with them in a, in a dangerous world in which they lived, carrying gold and, uh, and frankincense and myrrh that were very valuable. There probably was someone to protect them and maybe a garrison of army folks that go along the way. You put it all together. 
it had to be quite a spectacle to think that there were three men with maybe an attendant one that showed up is probably not realistic. The Bible doesn't say because it's not important, but probably a big group of people were traveling along in search of this star, and they came to Jerusalem and, uh, and began to inquire there. I've always wondered why they showed up at Jerusalem. If they were so wise, why did they show up at Jerusalem when the child was not there? If they were so smart, why did they go to, to a non-believing man named King Herod and ask uh, and inquire of him? Surely they must be mistaken. I've heard sermons on this uh, topic, and I'm sure if you've been in church a while, you've heard them too. Some, I remember hearing a sermon talked about the, the, the wise men got to the big city and the bright lights of the big city blinded them and distracted them from, and kept them from seeing the star, and they, they just made a wrong turn. But I'm reminded this Christmas season, everything that happened, happened because it was ordered by God. And the, shepherd, the wise men didn't just make a wrong turn, and they didn't get blinded. They came to Jerusalem for a specific purpose because God directed them to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the great headquarters of all things Jewish. Jerusalem had been a key city since King David had really established it as a city unto God. It was where the temple was built, and Jerusalem was the center of all things Jewish. The most religious folks in the day lived in Jerusalem. It was a center of power. It would be comparable to the Vatican today in, in relation to the Catholic Church. It was, the, it was Mecca for them. It was the center of what was religious. Isn't it interesting that on the night Christ was born, no announcement was made in Jerusalem? Isn't it interesting that God took a nowhere place and a couple of, uh, of nowhere teenage kids and bless them with the, the, the birth of the very God Himself in flesh, the Christ child. And it happened out in the middle of nowhere without contact to Jerusalem. Isn't it interesting that the announcement of Christ's birth was not made to the leaders of the Jewish church? They didn't call the newspapers. They didn't put it out on blast on, on the Internet. They didn't, they didn't uh, have a, a mega... The, the announcement of Christ's coming came to the lowest echelon of society, men who were shepherds, men of poor reputation, men who were considered kind of thieves and, and dishonest people, men who were travelers of sorts. I think the best thing we could, we could refer to them today is that they were kind of viewed as gypsy-like. They just kind of roamed from place to place and did what they could do. In fact, the, the, the perception of a shepherd was so poor that, that uh, commentators tell us that the testimony of a shepherd was not recognized in a Jewish court of law. No one ever was convicted on the eyewitness account of a shepherd. Isn't it interesting that God made the announcement of this life, this earth-changing, historical-changing event to a group of nobody, of no people, no uh, people of, of respect at all. The shepherds, if you'll read back in Luke's uh, version, chapter 2, the Bible said, when the angels appeared to the shepherds, when the angels left with, with good news of great joy to you has been born this day in the city of David, a Savior, that they decided to go and see. Do you remember what the Bible says after they went and saw they returned to their herds, and they told everyone that they can contact with what they had seen and heard. Bethany, four or five miles outside of Jerusalem. Is it possible that somehow the shepherd's testimony migrated over to Jerusalem and even to the leaders of the church 
who must have discounted what these wise men said. God had done the most significant thing in the history of this world. And when news came, perhaps, to the religious leaders of the day, they even discounted it. And no record, no indication that any of them went to Bethlehem to see for themselves. I believe that's why the, the, the wise men ended up at Jerusalem, because they're the other, other echelon of society. Shepherds are way down here. The wise men are wealthy. They are knowledgeable. They are skilled. They are viewed with great respect. They are the top of the society in this context. And even though Jerusalem rejected Christ, and even though Jerusalem could be representative of a group of people who knew Scripture but thought they had it all together, that they had no need for God, God still loved Jerusalem so much that perhaps He sought to give them another chance at hearing the message of Christ. Remember, Jerusalem was a, was a, was a city protected by a great wall. The, the wall of Jerusalem, the old wall, sections of it still stand, but in, in this time, the wall of Jerusalem was massive. It was, it was 25 to 50 feet high, commentators say, and archaeologists say, it was so wide they could have chariot races on top of the wall and run three, three abreast as they raced on the top of the wall. By the way, you only missed a turn one time in that chariot, and uh, you didn't get to get back on the, back on the wall. And Protecting, the, the, the final point of protection for the city of Jerusalem were massive gates that were shut at darkness, and no one went out and no one came in. And the Bible says when the light, when the sunlight was up to a certain point, the gates, it was okay to open the gates. Can you see a great entourage of 100, 200, 300 people, some of them highly decorated, some of them in the royal garb that would identify them as, as special people, as royal people? Can you see the army men and the camels and the, and the, 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 the support animals and the former showing up at the main gate of Jerusalem? It wasn't just something easy to overlook. They, all Jerusalem, the Bible says, all Jerusalem heard about this. There's a great entourage out at the main gate. They are fancy people. They are military people. They are support people. They are on a mission. They are dressed with royal robes. And they have come inquiring about the king that has been born. Well, King Herod, this King Herod, the first of the, uh, of the Herods of the New Testament, was called Herod the Great. And Herod the Great has a reputation of being an extremely jealous and insecure man. He wanted to thwart any potential rival to his role. How he got into this position is a story unto itself, but here is King Herod. History says that Herod killed two of his sons who he thought were a threat to, to take his position. In fact, Caesar Augustus, the guy that started all this with the, with the tax, was quoted as saying about Herod, I'd rather be his pig than to be his sons. Herod was a mean mean guy. And a bunch of fancily dressed people show up at the main gate and ask about a king. It must have caught Herod's attention in a chilling way. And did you read what Matthew said happened? Herod called the leaders of the people, the Jewish people together, the Jewish church leaders, and said, what's the story about this Christ child? And isn't it amazing that they quoted they quoted the, the, the prophecy of years ago. They quoted the very prophecy that said, 
out of the city of Bethlehem. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people. Could it not have been that God so loved Jerusalem that He gave them a second chance to go see the Christ child? He sent the top of society to them. He even put them in a setting where they quoted the very Scripture. But no evidence that the Jewish leaders sent anybody to Jerusalem to see what was talking about and to find the Christ child and at least to discover. In fact, from what we know about Scripture, it would be at least ten more years before the Jewish leaders ever caught sight of Jesus when he was 12 years of age and going into the temple at Passover time to begin to talk to them. Why didn't they go see? Why weren't they so connected with God? Why, why, did, why did God send, give them a second chance? I don't know the answer to that in, in great ways, except that God loved them so much, and Jerusalem was such an important city. Jerusalem was, was the center of all things Jewish, and they heard the report from the least in society. They heard the report from the highest of society. Why did they not believe? Obviously, because they had let their religion become more important to them than a relationship with God, and obviously because they, they were so fixed on their system and thinking they had it all figured out that God didn't fit into what they were doing. I'm amazed that God would give them a second chance if indeed that's the motivation behind the wise men showing up at Jerusalem. I'm amazed that God would deal with these hard-headed, obstinate, uh, arrogant, pride-filled people. But I'm sure glad that He did. Because if God will give them a second chance, then God will give me a second chance. And folks, in the coming year, we must realize that in the midst of our, of our foolishness, in the midst of our stubbornness, in the midst of our arrogance, God loves us so much that He literally is relentless in pursuit of us. And we ought to be careful when God tells us something to listen. And when God tells us the same thing twice, we better be careful and listen. And we need to follow the leadings of God. I don't know why the wise men showed up at Jerusalem, but I know that it was ordered by God for a purpose. God showed them again and told them again, and yet they didn't respond to Him at all. Well, the wise men were students of the skies. They were not, they were not magicians. They were not con men. They were not slick guys out to separate people from their money and funds. They were, they were highly respected, and they began a journey that most commentators think took at least a couple of years. When they got out of Jerusalem and away from Herod, the star began to appear again until it settled over the house Jesus was in. And they came to the house and knelt at the Christ child. You've seen it dramatically portrayed in, in, uh, in passion plays uh, in our lifetime, in our area, and around the world. And they came with great pomp and circumstances and bowed before the Christ child, filled up the house to overflowing, no doubt, and even beyond. And they brought to Jesus gold and frankincense and myrrh. He might have been born into poverty, but there was a moment, according to God's leading, that he didn't stay that way in an earthly context. They brought to him gold, real gold, real money. As I learned to say in East Texas, it was cash money. They brought him the real thing. And these spices were so expensive and so valuable and used by, by, by royalty and, and used for embalming purposes. And, and they came and presented that, though, those things to Jesus to the shock of Mary and Joseph, no doubt. They came and found and worshipped 
and presented their gifts to him and decided on the way home, listening to God, they'd go home a different route. And don't you know they were, their lives were changed forever? My friends, in the midst, in the context of this story, I believe is a good direction for all of us as we face the coming year. We want to have God's victory in our heart. We want to have an overcoming power about us. We want to not be overcome by life. We want to overcome life with God's help. We want to be victorious in the midst of a non-victorious setting. We want to be overcomers when there are so many evil forces against us trying to get an advantage on us. And perhaps the wise men show us exactly how to do that. I note, first of all, that they made a decision they were going to find a star, and they began to follow. They didn't know where it was going to lead them. Can you imagine telling them at home, I'm going to be gone for a while. I've seen a star in the, in the sky, and I'm going to go follow it. Can you imagine the opinions people must have given them? And can you imagine that perhaps they were even looked down upon or thought to be less wise than they were? They told an unbelievable story, and they made a decision they would go. And it didn't matter how long it took. And it doesn't seem to matter how far it was from home. And it doesn't seem to matter that there were days that were hot and cold and there were hills to cross and valleys to, to forge and, and, and rivers and creeks or whatever it was to get through. They, they made a decision that they were going to find, follow the star and find its destination. I remind you of something we all know to be true. This year, the first thing we ought to all do is get on our knees and make a commitment to God that we are going to make a decision to follow you. We might be the only one in our setting that does that. There might not be anybody else at your place of work that, that's trying to follow God, but with God's help, you're determined to follow Him regardless of what's said and done to you. You might be the only one at school in your class that has any interest in the things of God, but I make a decision that I will find and experience Christ myself regardless of the opinions of those around me, regardless of what anybody says and does. It's not always easy. It couldn't have been easy for the wise men, but we make a decision. Maybe the only one in our marriage that's really committed to doing that. Maybe the only one in our home that's committed to doing that. I want to tell you, even though we walk with God, perhaps some of us for many years, it is still important that we renew our decision to be God's person and to be relentless in pursuit of Him. And if we ask Him, He will answer. And if we seek direction, God will respond. And if we seek knowledge of what we need to do, God will give us the answer. For God is interested in us as much as He was interested in Jerusalem, and the answers are in this book. And if we will read and apply and listen and let the Lord lead us through, He will do that in ways beyond our comprehension. He wants to do, the Bible says, exceedingly and abundantly above that which we may ask or seek. The wise men, first of all, made a decision that they were going to follow the star until they found its destination. And they, they had to be desperate for God. I'll tell you one thing that's missing in the world in Christian church today. We're not really desperate for God. We, we, don't, we don't have to worry about where our next meal is coming from. Some of us could, uh, uh, let me rephrase that. I could, I could not have a few next meals and still be all right for, for, for a long time. We don't have to worry about where we're going to sleep tonight. We don't have to worry about uh, having money to pay our bills often. I remember being in church one time, and we, we had a big pledge drive going, and some folks that were very, seemed very prosperous made a huge pledge. I think it was $10,000. 
And then they began to ask for prayer for their gift. And they did it publicly. And it was really humiliating to me who pledged $1,000. Because <laughs> I didn't have $1,000. In fact, I went to the bank and borrowed $1,000 so I could put my pledge in as God led me to, and I paid the bank off and not God. And here they were, $10,000, and finally they voiced their, 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 their prayer request. We don't know whether we should take our $10,000 out of our checking account or should we cash a CD in and pay for it. And I thought I wanted to go slap them with the Bible. <laughs> Man, talk about, they're not desperate for God. They're just trying to figure out which pocket to take it out of. You become desperate for God when you trust God, when you don't have it. And when you ask God to lead you through, we are not desperate for God. But I'll tell you, folks, if we would get desperate for God and His power and His leading and His anointing on our lives, it would revolution our lives and change our homes. It would revolution our churches. It would revolution everything about us. For God is able if we would just be dependent and desperate for Him. These wise men had to be desperate in their, in, their, in their pursuit. They had to be determined to overcome the obstacles. That's not a great, that's not a great uh, 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 discovery uh, in thought, but they just simply had to not only be desperate, they had to be determined. Nothing would stop them. I'll confess to you, and I'm not proud of it, I have let things hinder me and stop me in, in achieving what I believe God had for me. Because life didn't go as I thought it would. Because people around me didn't act like I believed they would. Because the world was not happy or pleased or patting me on the back for trying to achieve God's goal. There were times it seemed like not only nobody cared, but times no one even encouraged a determination that regardless of what happens, we're going to connect with God and let Him lead us through life. Don't you think these wise men had, that, had to have that uh, thought in two years of traveling, of walking, of journeying, not knowing where they were going, day after day, they got up every day pursuing the star, very determined to find what God was trying to tell them. And then they were destined, of course, to find, to find the Christ child. The Bible says, those who seek me and search for me with all their hearts shall find me. Jesus said to all, Bring, come to me that are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you all rest. They were destined to find Jesus because of their desperation to find Him, because of their determination and their willingness, and because they would not be denied in pursuit of Him. They began with the decision. They committed to overcoming obstacles. They kept moving. They listened to God. And the reward was a personal first-hand account of this little boy who came into the world as a baby. God, who put flesh on, stood before them. And they presented the best of what they had to offer, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I remind you, don't need to remind you that we live in a world different, very different from that of the wise men and, and, and the evil King Herod and all the obstacles that they faced. But that does not mean we don't face obstacles. And it does not mean that we don't face evil. And it does not mean that there is no opposition to our desire to live for Christ. 
But if we're desperate for Him, folks, if we are desperate for Him, He will show up on our behalf. If we're determined that we're going we're to follow Christ no matter what. I remember as a teenager trying to fill that question in. Yes, Lord, I want to do your will, but I'd like to know what it is first. God doesn't do that. He says, come and follow me. And he didn't tell them where they were going. They were determined to overcome. And they were destined to find the Christ child. And life was not the same for them ever again. I contend that 2019 holds some unusual things for us. Some great things. Some things beyond our understanding. I would also contend that in the world we live in, 2019 holds some very difficult things. In some ways, I'm glad God doesn't tell us what's ahead. Because I personally would probably be so scared to death, I wouldn't even want to get out of bed in the morning. He doesn't give us the destination. He just gives us assurance of direction and protection in the journey. And if we trust Him, it ought to be a great year for us. We ought to achieve great spiritual victories. And my heart longs to see our church be recipients as we are faithful with the message of Christ, be recipients of seeing boys and girls and men and women who do not know Christ, finding Him and connecting with Him and finding discipleship and discipline and friendship and all those things at a part of our congregation. And if we can get desperate on our knees before God, that's why we exist as a church. If we're determined, regardless of money problems and people problems and personality problems and all the things that go along in the church, if we're de desperate and determined, we are, we are destined to find success that God has for us. And the secret uh, ingredient that God pours into it all is that in the midst of changing lives, we are changed for Him. If we just focus our attention and stay the course, make a decision, overcome obstacles, keep moving, and listen to what God says, He will lead us. Well, the story of the wise men in Scripture in the birth of Christ gets often misunderstood. It's taken out of context. We kind of believe the shepherds were, were, were waiting in queue as soon as the, as the shepherds came first, and the wise men were waiting in queue behind them. But there's a good length of time when the shepherds left that the wise men showed up. God would still continue to deal with Jerusalem. And I want to encourage you today, not as, a, not as an excuse or a free pass to disobey, but I want to encourage you that God is relentless for us. And folks, when we fail, we need to get down on our knees and repent and ask God to forgive us and promise God with His help when we get in the same situation again, we will respond differently for Him instead of acting like we never do anything wrong. And let God lead us through this coming year in a similar manner in which He led these magi from the east who found and worshiped Christ. I'm curious enough to know what they did with the gold. <laughs> I'm curious enough how they moved the frankincense and myrrh around. I wish the Scripture would tell us that. That's a, I don't know. Scriptures don't tell us, folks, because it's not relevant to our lives. We trust God to lead us through. In 1963, Parkland Hospital saw the birth of a, of a, a young boy named... Uh, Jerome Anthony Webb. He was a he was although he was a proper size and and had uh, 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 was born at full term I guess we would say 
arms as long as they should be and legs as long as they should be all put together in just the right way, but he seemed to have a, a, an extra big head. And one of his relatives, 1963, one of his relatives remarked that his head almost looks like the Russian uh, 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 space uh, vehicle called uh, uh, the, the yeah that's it you've read the story Spudnik, and they called him Spudnik because of his big head. Until he grew a little bit, and Spudnik was too hard for him to say and everybody else, and so they shortened it to. Everybody remember Spud Webb. Spud was five foot three in high school. He was fast and quick and began to handle the basketball with great ease, but he was a tiny little guy. And so Spud Webb began to work on his skills and the muscles in his legs so that he could jump high. And at five foot seven, he became the shortest player to make the the, the National Basketball League, and he was a starter. Many of you have watched Spud Webb play. In 1986, Spud Webb was chosen for the, I believe, for the All-Star game. And at the All-Star, beginning of our All-Star week, they had a slam dunk contest. And it was five foot seven Spud Webb. In fact, some, some, some folks would say that Spud was only five foot seven with his shoes on. He wasn't quite that tall. Facing six foot eight inch Dominic Wilkins, who was a monster of a person who was larger in life. In fact, they said about Dominic Wilkins, he makes his own spectacular videos, that his play is so spectacular. He's the, he's the re replay guy, you see. He, he's so massive. Spud said he thought he was chosen just as a spectacle so the crowd would get a good laugh. No one in the arena or around basketball believed that Spud Webb had a chance to even compete against six foot eight Dominic Wilkins. Nobody, that is, but Spud. And Spud said, when I walked on the court, I was determined to win. It did not occur to me that I wouldn't make it. It didn't occur to me that I was too short. I expected to win. I wanted to win. I intended to win. Everything I did was about winning. I was out there to compete, and I was not interested in coming in second or having people laugh at me. I walked out determined I was going to win. And if you were around and follow basketball in 1986, you know that year the slam dunk champion of pro basketball was five foot seven inch Spud Webb, who said, I can, I will, I will pursue. He could have said, I'm desperate to win. He could have said, I'm determined to win, and I won't let anything stand in my way, and I am destined to be the winner. What a great model for life this coming year. And compared to the world and compared to the battles we face and compared to the obstacles that are out there and the valleys we have to go through, we're all little short people. I can say that because I am a short person. <laughs> compared to the obstacles, we are no match. But with God, all things are possible. And as we stay focused, desperate, determined, interested, God will lead us through. I'm still shocked at some things that have happened in 2018. Some of you know some of that. I'm shocked as I look back, though, how God was there every step of the way. 
I'm kind of shocked to realize, and I shouldn't really be shocked. I'm shocked to realize that for myself, when I felt like I couldn't go on, God carried me along. And with Him, all things are possible. And we ought to enter this new year with great hope and great expectation and great belief in God, the author and finisher of our lives, and the hope for tomorrow. Stay desperate for Him, determined to accomplish for Him, and let God lead us through in a most blessed way. I've also learned that when God gets, God solves problems far better than I can. And in fact, God brings a miracle not only just to me, but to those around. God doesn't just, God, when God acts, it involves a wide array of people. And may we trust God to help us in this coming year to be the kind of person that we need to be and to focus on the example of the wise men and live as they until we are able to come to the place where we bow down, not to a baby, not to a little kid, but to the King of kings and Lord of lords who's over all and in all and above all, and we offer our praise and worship to Him. And we hear the words said, well done, you may enter into your rest. We praise God to lead us through. And everybody says, amen and amen.